I've created this business that I have become a slave to. And it's not honoring God. It's not honoring me or my family. It's actually the opposite. And so rather than living that life of feeling like a victim, I decided I'm not a victim. I'm not a slave to my own company. I'm going to take agency of my life and I'm going to intentionally realign my life with what I believe my values are. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, before I tell you who today's conversation is with, I want to tell you a little bit about her background. I want to tell you a little bit about her resume. So she played college volleyball. Out of that, she became a volleyball coach. Out of that, I literally found out in this conversation, she started selling mittens online, like sewing and selling mittens online. And and apparently she was selling hundreds of mittens. Like it was a thriving mitten business. Out of that, she started a coffee roasting company. Uh, That company started to become outrageously profitable. She ended up selling that company. From there, she went into construction as a general contractor. What on earth? She got her general contractor's license. And out of that, she is now becoming a Path for Growth coach. What on earth? I'm talking to you about Kelly Krieger. And that's who we get to talk to today. I've known Kelly for years now. And I've just been so inspired by her commitment to never-ending in improvement and growth and for her desire to constantly take action that will result in other people getting served. Now, over the past several years and even handful of months, Kelly has walked through a transformational journey that has really clarified the difference between what it means to simply pursue an opportunity versus what it means to pursue a calling. And that's going to be woven into so much of what she does for us as a coach and as a member of our team serving impact-driven leaders. But before we get to all of that in that conversation, I had to have her talk some about this wild and crazy background. So I was a college volleyball coach right out of playing in college. And I did that for a few years and I coached club volleyball as well. And, you know, my club teams were competitive. We were nationally competitive. We made it to the national championships. So I was used to high-level competition and success. And then when I had my kids, I chose to stay home with them, but had so much energy and drive to do something big and successful and also to make money to put food on the table. So I actually, another thing you don't know about, I used to sell mittens. I was the classic Etsy story where I was like, I'm going to make something that I see on Pinterest and I'm going to go sell it on Etsy. So I I went to Goodwill and bought sweaters and would wash them and felt them down. And I had a sewing machine and I sewed mittens and I sold a lot of them. Like how many is a lot of mittens? And and when you say a lot of pairs of mittens or a lot of individual mittens, because it's not fair if one craft show alone, I would sell like two to three hundred pairs of mittens. And then I would get orders. Yeah, I would get orders and they'd be like, "Hey, Christmas is coming up. Can I get?" 30 pairs of mittens. I'm like, oh, of course, absolutely. So then it turned into like a sweatshop. You know, I'm watching my kids and I'm over here sewing and I realized I'm like, wow, this could be a big business, but that's really where my entrepreneurial spirit came up where I was like, I could 
make my own money. If I did something where I got creative, I could make my own living. And so it started there. And then I realized this isn't profitable enough. Like I'm up until three in the morning sewing these mittens to get them completed for these craft shows, stuff that I had committed to. But so then I started for Christmas. Okay, well, pause there real quick because you say that's where you – I mean, like, I just learned so much about Kelly that I didn't know before right now. So that's awesome. So so you go from being collegiate volleyball player to a volleyball coach to professional mitten maker. Yeah. And when you say that's where the entrepreneurial spirit came from, like, prior to, to that original project of selling mittens – like, did you have aspirations to own a business and to lead a business or what did it look like at that time? I didn't really think of myself as a business owner. I really was, my drive was to stay home with my kids, but to still have enough money to make ends meet. Honestly, I was very passionate. I was willing to give up anything to stay home with my kids. So I was a college coach and I had opportunities to go I mean, it was division one and I had opportunities to go into the big 10 and I gave it up because I wanted to be home with my kids, but I knew I had to make money. So it was really more based on prioritizing the time of being home with my kids. Okay. Very good. And so then the the mitten business is actually going well, but you're staying up till 3 a.m. sewing. Well, uh, and okay. so... In the summer, you can't sell wool mittens as much. So it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> but I did it for a couple of years and then I would make them throughout the summer because I just couldn't make enough in the winter. I was selling out every craft show. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. And so like when you look back at that season that up to literally this conversation, I never knew about, when yeah. you look back to that season, What's the biggest lesson that you got from that season, those few years making and selling mittens? Yeah. At that time, I felt like I had control over my schedule, whether it was good or bad. Like if I, if people would ask me for 20 pairs of mittens by the end of the week, I had the opportunity to say yes or no. So I had control over my schedule. I also could do it at home. I could be with my kids. I didn't have to go drop them off at daycare to go make my mittens. I could just have them be right there with me. So I was choosing my schedule. I was choosing my workload. And that really, that's the part of it that I loved where I thought, you know, I could make more doing this than if I went and got a part-time job somewhere at the end of the month. So. Wow. Okay. And so is that where you started to have the realization like, okay, while this may not be the long-term business, right. I think I do want to be in business and I want to have this degree of freedom. Yeah. So then the coffee. So for Christmas one year, my dad got, it's kind of, it's like that parable in the Bible. My dad got all of us a coffee roaster for Christmas. And us, I don't remember that parable in the Bible. You'll hear it. We'll catch up in a minute. Okay. I was like, what Bible are you reading, Kelly? <laughs> no, you, you'll catch up. So, okay, so we each got a roaster. And my brother, he's going to be so so annoyed that I brought him into this, but he knows it's coming. So he sold his roaster. So he said, I don't really need a coffee roaster. I'm just going to sell it. And I took the roaster and I said, you know, I think I could probably make a business out of this. So it profited. So that's the parable. But anyways, we, my church was putting in a coffee shop in their atrium 
and they put out an announcement at church one week and they said, you know, instead of um, us buying Starbucks or any other coffee, we want a local coffee bean, like a, a local custom roast, and we want it to be high quality so people come here for Bible studies rather than Starbucks. So they're attracted to come into the church. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have a coffee roaster. I've roasted a pound of coffee before. I bet I could submit my beans. <laughs> <laughs> that like, you know, beyond confidence that it doesn't even make sense. But so I did some research. I had with our coffee roaster came five one pound bags and it explained what temperatures they should be roasted to and kind of gave you some guidelines. So I did some research. I'm like, okay, I have one more pound left. I bet if I roast this to the best of my ability, I could submit it to the church and they're going to do a taste test with like all the people that submit their beans. So I did it and I put together like a business proposal and explained to them where the coffee was from and about the farm and how it was grown and how I roasted it and how it's just going to make their coffee shop the best in the country. And people are going to come from all over to drink this coffee. So it must have worked. So they did the taste test and I won. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is oh, insane. So they said, you know, okay, you're, it was Papua New Guinea Peaberry. That was the coffee that I had. So it was Papua New Guinea. They said, okay, we, we love your coffee. We will need uh, 20 pounds of coffee this week. And every week we'll, we will order 20 pounds a week. And I was like, oh. I have a one pound roaster. It only roasts one pound at a time and it takes an hour to roast with an hour of cooling off in between. So that was 40 hours a week of roasting. And I was like, Oh, so this is a full time job. What did I sign up for? So we went and bought a five pound roaster. So I was roasting it out of my basement. And so I said, if we get a five pound roaster and you can do that every hour, now that cuts down my time. So we did that, multiplied the roaster, cut down our time. So then we moved to Nebraska. And when we moved out to Nebraska, we found some coffee shops and they found out that we were roasting. They we were like, hey, we would buy your coffee if you were able to provide more than, you know, 20 pounds a week. And I was like, well, you know, my goal really is to just stay home with my kids, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I looked into a fire hall. That This is the advantage to starting a small business in the middle of rural Nebraska. I was able to find an old fire hall that was no longer in use. So it was a big warehouse. And my rent with utilities and everything was $100 a month. So I was oh, like, my gosh, okay, Kelly. So I can, like, do this. Okay, so, so pause there just a second because there's so much in what you just talked about with, like, okay, I want to roast for this church and I create a business plan and then I've got only a one pound roaster. So I get a five pound roaster and like we, we pitch it to them and then we go to other coffee shops and we get them to buy into it. Like there is so much just, I mean, honestly, like entrepreneurialism, like weave throughout that story and, and just kind of like scrappy, get it done mentality. Like yeah. that's one of the things I love about you. You've, you've got this get it done mentality did that come from parents? Did that was that naturally wired? Where did that mentality come from? Yeah, probably my parents and also athletics and definitely both of my parents are very creative and have that same mentality where they get an idea. I think you are saying it in a very positive tone. We're very creative and we also get obsessed with something. 
<laughs> and kind of like run with it. Like I have this thing and I'm going to figure out how to make it big and we just run with it. So that's part of the coffee story for sure. And so we- greatest strength can be the greatest weakness. Absolutely. Right. But yeah. I mean, I think there's something to the fact that it's like some people would hear, oh, we need 20 pounds a week. And you come to the recognition, like, I have a one-pound roaster, and that's where the story ends. Like, the story literally ends at that moment. So, like, are you naturally wired as an optimistic person, or did you even think about quitting at that point? Or was it just like, we're moving forward, we're going to figure this out? Yeah, that never even crossed my mind, come to think of it. I just was thinking, this is an amazing opportunity, I need to figure out how to produce more. And then as... And it fit in line with all of my values. I wanted to stay home. I wanted to control my schedule. I wanted to be able to be with my kids. So by doing, by taking on more clients, I just had to pivot my game plan on how I was going about doing it. But it mm-hmm. still fit in line with what I wanted to do. And I think there's something to that. Like I, I love that so many people are focused on the conversations around calling and purpose and career plan and direction. I, I think those are all good conversations. And I think spending time in your journal is really good. Obviously we advocate and talking to people about it. And at the same time, there is no substitute for just taking action. Right. Like just, just do something. And what's crazy, and we'll kind of continue in this conversation to hear more about it, but I would just imagine you learned so many lessons just because you took act, just because you did something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, it was, it started off with one pound, but it built up to be a pretty significant business and it's still operating today. Another family, I was able to sell it. Another family is still roasting and they have built out a coffee shop with it. So it's a thriving business to this day. So it went from one pound to five pounds to 20 pounds to when we moved to Nebraska, we went between, we traveled to Chicago and Denver a lot. And we thought, how cool would it be when we travel along I-80 that we stop at coffee shops that sell our coffee? So we went along I-80 and every coffee shop that we stopped at said yes. So then we bought a 20 pound roaster and got this warehouse and started, we got a distributor that imported coffee from all over the world. and I had thousands of pounds of coffee being delivered to my warehouse that it was just me. I would get them delivered and I was moving the bags of coffee and my kids would come with me and they were helping me roast. But I figured out a system where I roasted one day a week. I got all my orders in and I was roasting between 300 to 400 pounds of coffee a week, but I was doing it all in one day and I would roast it all. I would package it. I sealed it. I made my own labels. I had stamps where I stamped the labels. So I made everything. And then I had, I packaged them, put them in the boxes while it was roasting. I did my invoices, sent them through QuickBooks. And then I shut the door. UPS had a key to my warehouse. So then the next day UPS would come, pick them up and ship them around the country. And then two days later, everyone had their fresh roasted coffee and they would order every week. So every week they had fresh roasted coffee. And That's a great gig. Okay, so two questions there. Where did your coffee education come from? Like, is it slash was there coffee education? And then where did your business education come from? Okay, so my coffee education, YouTube. And <laughs> the this was a Christmas gift from my dad. So really, my dad was my resource. And he just went, there's a website for 
home roasters where it just went through and explained the process of roasting. But I do, so I have my master's degree in exercise physiology. And when I was in grad school, I worked in the exercise physiology lab. And so I worked a lot with Excel in tracking stuff. So we would do a lot of experiments with like vertical jump or body composition or VO2 max. And as we would train people, I would track things on Excel. And so I knew how to, I knew how to do research. So I just switched it from exercise science to coffee roasting. So I used all the same templates and I just flipped it over to coffee. So I would roast a Papua New Guinea pea berry to a certain temperature and I would track, this is what it looked like. This is what it tasted like. This is what it smelled like. And then I would just track all the progress. So I eventually had my own recipes, I guess, or temperatures and all of that for each of the beans that we sold. So I just kind of developed my own. I got, I learned from websites and what it should be like, but I didn't want to rely on someone else's opinion. So I just did it myself and I tasted it all. And I created my own recipes for each of the beans. And I did custom coffee roast, different or custom espresso for each of the coffee shops. That was part of my pitch. I would say, I'll come to your shop. I'll check out your machine and figure out who your client base is. And I'll blend and roast a a specific espresso roast just for your shop. And then I would take it to their shop and say, now let's dial this espresso into your machine so we know exactly what temperature you should pull the espresso at, how many seconds it should come out of the machine. And so we dialed it in so it was custom to them where they felt like, I can't switch roasters. I have to use her because I have a custom roast. So that was my, that was what separated me apart from any other coffee roaster. So then my business sense, I don't know, I just kind of, winged it. I just really, <laughs> I didn't really have any guidance. Do you think uh, that's cr- crazy <laughs> and awesome all at the same time? I just winged it. There's people right now that spent tens of thousands of dollars getting their MBA. I love it. It's great. Uh, okay. So do you think it's possible that it actually benefited you that you knew so little? Like, do you think you were almost like just naive enough to be like, you didn't see the blockers, you didn't know how complex it could be. So you just like kind of just started taking the next right step? Yeah, definitely. So after a couple of years of doing this, we got invited to compete at America's Best Espresso. So I went to Chicago and then we did it the next year in St. Louis. And that exposed me to coffee roasters around the country. And I was able to see who else was doing this in the country. And that's when Instagram was first coming out. And so I would follow them on Instagram. So again, I was doing this in Arcadia, Nebraska. The population in Arcadia is 200. And we're about an hour and a half from the closest Walmart. So put that in perspective that like nobody in the country knew who I was. I wasn't like downtown Chicago with this big name or this big face. It was just... Kelly in the fire hall roasting coffee, but it didn't matter where I was because it was the product that I was delivering. So I created an Instagram page and just started taking cool pictures that I knew, I knew what people were looking for in the coffee industry. It's cool. You have to be trendy. So I just played the game and delivered what they were looking for to get the sale. And I'm like, but it's not really about the look. It's about the coffee. It's about 
the relationship that I had with the coffee shop owners, they trusted me to give them the custom roast that they wanted and for it to be consistent every week and for it to be delivered on time. That was the whole point of it. So then when I went to America's Best Espresso, I would see these coffee roasters from like downtown Chicago or downtown St. Louis. And I would just flat out ask them like, so how much coffee do you guys roast? And they'd be like, oh, like 300 pounds a week. And I'm like, I roast more than them. I can't believe it. Like what? And they've got these really high-end coffee shops with like marble countertops and, you know, like it's so impressive and you walk in and it's like, wow, that is so intimidating to know that I'm competing against these, you know, fancy coffee shops. But in all reality, I was producing the same, if not more, and my overhead was $100 a month. So I'm like, so you're telling me you have to roast that to break even. And what I'm roasting is profit because I don't have to pay for my downtown fancy location. I was like, I think I actually have a pretty good gig. That's amazing. I love that the piece of the story that we're talking about is a coffee roasting company because I think that's one of the cool things to do now. Maybe even cooler now than it was back then. Like, oh, well, I've always dreamed to own a coffee shop or to roast my own coffee beans one day is kind of like the standard millennial line. And the only reason why I can say that is because I've said that exact (laughs) sentence before, right? Like I've said, I've talked to so many friends that have said it's just the standard line. And we kind of sit there and say like one day, I think it would be really cool, but it doesn't have to be coffee roasting. There are so many people that are in a job that they don't love or don't enjoy that are currently sitting on an idea and saying one day, one day I'd love to do this. Like, But I think we immediately come up with all these objections of why it's not possible. Like, oh, I, I don't have the time to learn how to roast coffee. I never went to business school. I don't have the money that I need. I'd love to know Like, what would Kelly Krieger say to those people that have an idea of what they want to do, but their immediate next thought is all of these objections? What would you say to them? Right. I mean, I think God definitely designed us all very differently. And I don't think that it's for everyone because it is scary. You do have to go out on a limb and take a risk. And I have a lot of family members. I have a lot of friends that that is not appealing to them. They want the same stable job and that speaks to them. And that's what helps them feel safe and secure. But if it is a passion of yours to be an entrepreneur and to take that leap of faith, I think knowing that it doesn't have to be wildly successful overnight and being okay with it being small and being okay with other people not getting what you're doing is the recipe for starting. Just go off and do it. You know, we moved across the country to a small community that was established and nobody got what I was doing. I'm telling you the first time that I was roasting, like in a nicer coffee roaster, the cooling bin is part of the roaster. So when the coffee comes out, it rotates around. That's the part that people see when it comes out and it's cooling. And then the chaff comes down to a cooling bin. That's like the shell that comes off of the bean. Before I had a nice roaster, when I just had that first one pound or five pound roaster, I had to build my own cooling bin system where I literally was pouring the beans 
out of the roaster into a handmade screen system where I took like two by fours and window screen and I had a fan sitting next to it and I would pour it and the fan would pour the, would like fly the chaff out. So I had to do this out in my driveway because I couldn't do this in the house. So people are driving by like, what is she doing? And I saw people looking at me and they're like, oh, like, you know, concerned for me. Like, what is she doing? She's just staying home and she's, what is she doing? Roasting coffee and I just didn't care. I was like, you have no clue what I'm doing, but it's working. And I had this confidence inside where I was like, it does not matter what other people think of what I'm doing because I'm so, I know what I'm doing. I'm cooling my coffee beans and I'm going to package them and I'm going to ship them out to this coffee shop and they love my product. That's what I'm doing. So, but having those blinders up and that confidence in your plane is huge. You can't do something worrying about someone else's approval when you're in that first stage of business. That is such good, sound, experience-based advice. Because I think it's a Freud quote that he says, you have to first be willing to look like a fool if you're ever going to become a master. And I think sometimes the blocker that keeps most people from starting the business that they should be starting is they think it needs to look like year five on day one. Yeah. And they compare themselves to all these other businesses in the industry that they admire. Yeah. But those businesses ex- have existed for 20 years and it's it's yeah. not going to look like that. And if it does look like that, it means that you borrowed a bunch of money that you're going to really struggle to pay back. And like one of the things that I'm so grateful for is like how scrappy we've started path for how scrappy we've started path for growth. And it's just like the number of lessons we're learning along the way. And it's like, we're going to move at the speed of cash. We're not going to pretend to be something. We're not going to go out and buy all this fancy equipment to look like we have this all figured out and that we're experts or professionals. We're just going to say, we're doing a thing that we love and we think God has called us to do. And it's going to look super scrappy in the beginning. And it may always look super scrappy, but if we're called to do it, we're called to do it. And it really doesn't matter what you think we quote unquote look like. And I think that so often people aren't willing to take on that mindset or that attitude, you know, Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I chose to stay home and take on these, this type of an income, this type of a career or a lifestyle, we sold our house. I sold one of my cars. We only had one car for several years. We completely downsized to a point where we had minimal bills. And I did not take out a loan for my business. And I didn't pay myself for a couple years, actually. And I just said, you know, if this is going to be a business, I want to reinvest it into the company. And I know maybe not everybody would agree with that. I know the whole profit first concept, but I didn't have any employees. So for me, it was if I cut back all of my expenses down to nothing, then eventually if I roast 200 pounds a month and I only have $100 a month on rent for my fire hall, then all of a sudden now I have profit. So it wasn't, and it wasn't to go show people. In fact, it was the opposite. I wasn't showing anybody. Nobody, if clients would say, can I come and see where you roast? I even hesitated for them to come see what my warehouse looked like because I was like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) It's a a firehouse in in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. Some of them did, and I think they actually respected that because they knew I wasn't overcharging or I was, you know, it was an honest business. And But I would just say, you know, I'd love to come to your coffee shop so I can see where your 
doing your business. And I just kind of shifted it in that direction. Every now and then I had people come visit me, but it certainly wasn't for show. I wasn't going and buying fancy things. I bought the essentials. I had a roaster. I had a sealer to package my beans. And that literally was it. I even bought my scale because scales are kind of expensive, like a good one. I bought a scale at Junk Giant. If anybody's here from Nebraska, listening from Nebraska, it's like a giant garage sale through all of Nebraska, where it's like 200 miles. I didn't even buy a brand new scale. And that was one of What was the place called? Junk Jaunt. Oh my God. Junk Jaunt. Like we're going to go on a jaunt through some junk. And it's that's a three day garage sale where you go through. Yeah. Anyways, that's where I got. I, I just think when we talk about practicing healthy growth, I, I think that is part of practicing healthy growth as a business. I, I heard a pastor once say that God can't bless who you pretend to be. And it's kind of like a business principle as well is like you can't just put up this image that's totally fake. Be real and recognize that there's people out there that want who you really are and what you really do. And those people are actually going to be a delight to work with. And the people that buy this image that isn't real, they're going to make you a ball of stress because then you're going to feel the pressure of living up to an image that isn't actually true. And, And so I just love that's woven into your story. I'd love to know before we move on from the coffee stage, knowing what you know now about business and leadership what advice would you give to Kelly at that time? First of all, how old were you at that time? And what advice would you give to yourself? So I was 26 when I started the coffee business. And I had it for about six years before I sold it. So, you know, I was, what is that, 30? My advice in leadership, I think at that time, I had always viewed myself as a leader before because I was the captain of the volleyball team and I was a coach and I felt like I was a leader in that role. And at that time, I had felt like I, when I went into the coffee industry, I didn't really think I was a leader because I didn't have a staff. It was just me. I was doing my own thing. I was, I wore every hat in that business. So I didn't feel like I was a leader. But it's funny, we were just talking about this uh, the other day with you. I realize now that even though I was operating the business alone, I was a leader because I was working with my clients and I was leading them in their businesses and I was providing for my children and teaching them the values and the work ethic, the ethics that I had along with that business. So I see now how impactful that role was, even though I wasn't on a day-to-day leading people in inside the walls of my company. So I think if I could tell Kelly then, now some advice would be, I wish I would have used that business to be more intentional about being impactful, serving other people. And in that time, it really was, I was doing, I've always done what I feel like God has called me to do in that moment. But at that time, I don't think I realized the opportunity that I had to impact my community. I was more in survival mode. Like I'm fighting for my kids. I'm doing it one day a week and then I'm going to go home and I'm done. And that, and it worked. But I had so much potential to serve more people than I I did. So that's something that we can tap into later. But at that time, I was passionate about what I did. But I don't think I maximized my potential in that business to serve other people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, one of our one of our core principles is just the idea that if someone depends on you, then you are a leader. And so it's like one of the biggest decisions a person can make is to start seeing themselves as a leader that yeah. is being used by God to influence and serve other people. Yeah. And it turns out we're not just strong for the sake of being strong. We're not growing for the sake of growth. We're strength is for service, yeah. right? And so what you're saying almost is it sounds like is having that paradigm shift in that season would have been a difference maker for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you said you were 32 whenever you sold the coffee business. What did that decision look like? So at that time, we, my husband was doing construction and we had an opportunity to start our own business. And we read the book Rhinoceros Success about five times. And after <laughs> I read it the fourth time, I had a conversation and I said, I cannot believe you're not owning your own construction company. How is it possible we keep reading this book and we are not doing this on? And and it was like this challenge, like like okay, let's do it. And so overnight, we were like, let's do it. So we started a construction company overnight, and we had the opportunity to connect with some developers that built quite a few Dollar Generals. So overnight, we got a contract, and we were able to do two Dollar Generals. And we're like, okay, we've got to go all in. That's not an easy thing to do. You can't just wing that. Like you can wing a mitten business. <laughs> You're telling me it's different? You're telling me mittens and coffee and construction are a little bit different? Well, it depends on what scale. But yeah, when you have multi-million dollar contracts on the line, you kind of have to go all in and decide not to. I think I'm not going to sew mittens through the winter, through the summer. That isn't really an option in this scenario. So. I had to shift my mindset a little bit differently. But so, yeah, we went all in and we made a website overnight. We had to get insurance overnight. We had to get, you know, trucks and trailers and the equipment and just like really go all in. But at that time, my my mission, my purpose was to stay home with my kids. And I was still roasting the coffee business and staying home with the kids and now running a construction company. And I was wearing so many different hats. I started to get really spread thin and I just felt like there's no way I can do both. And I wasn't educated enough now to understand that I could have scaled my business, my coffee business and trained other people to do what I was doing. I really did think my model was like the bread and butter and it really did work that way. And it it served our family really well. And we had a family, a couple that lived close to us that said, if you're interested in selling, we would buy the coffee business like overnight. And so that opportunity came up and I just felt like, you know, this would be great. I I could sell the coffee business. We could invest that money into our construction company. It can still be a thriving, sustainable business for another family. And in that area where there's not a lot of job opportunities for families, let alone stay-at-home moms. I thought, wow, what a blessing this could be for another family to do what I've been able to do for the last five or six years. So that just felt like the right thing to do at the time. And I'm really glad that is what we did. But it was a huge identity shift for me because that became my identity. I was the coffee lady. But so anyways, we sold the coffee business and went all in with construction. And again, our we ran it out of our house, out of our basement, our unfinished basement. We had drywall. 
barely hung and I had my computer and I was sitting there doing subcontracts and same thing. I know nothing about construction. So I just Googled everything and just how do you do a subcontract? How do you, you know, manage money? Like I knew how to pay my personal bills, but not at this scale. This It was like, oh, I need you to be the accountant now. I'm like, right, Google, how do you do this? <laughs> So, and I so said, the way y'all, I mean, because it was you and your husband, mm-hmm. like, like, was he essentially selling the jobs, and then you were doing the back end management of the business? Yeah. Is that correct? Uh, he was he was so good at selling, and he had the construction knowledge. He knew how to follow the plans and how to actually get the buildings built and order the materials. And I was more the admin side, so I was doing the subcontracts, the insurance, stuff with the bank, ordering supplies and materials, pretty much just anything that needed to be done. I just had to, we just had to figure it out. Where, like, what is the driving why for you in those seasons where it is just, I mean, it sounds like a grind, right? Like you were working extremely hard. You're a full-time mom at the same time. And, and I know parenting is an extremely high priority for you. And that's something that like you're committed to doing the right way. And so like, what is the drive? What is the internal purpose? What's the why that gets you through seasons like that? Yeah. And I'm, I have a different mindset now than I did at that time. So I can tell you my why, but my why now has completely shifted. So I don't necessarily agree with my why at that time, but my why at that time was it was an opportunity. And I did think that business had more potential to make a bigger profit than my coffee business. And so long term, I did believe if I make more money doing this, then eventually I can go back to being home with my kids. And so that was always my driver was I want to spend the most time possible with my kids that I can. And that's why I never wanted to have a quote unquote full-time job. I thought if I own my own business, I can control my schedule. I can control how much time I work and I can control my income to a certain extent. So that was my why. But with that said, the first couple of years, we didn't have other, well, for sure the first year, we didn't have any other employees. So it was uh, the two of us and it it ended up where I was actually working quite a bit and not only working significantly more than the coffee business, the stress was real. You know, it was thing, I was in unfamiliar territory. I didn't know anything about construction, accounting, subcontracts, insurance, pretty much anything that I was doing was new. So there was a really high learning curve and and it was stressful. So that wasn't, it went from something that was pretty good life balance and a pretty good, a good business to taking on this opportunity and shifting now I was, it was a lot. You alluded to the fact that your mindset has shifted. And I know we'll get more to that here in a second, but just looking at that specific question, like how do you address that version of Kelly now, right? Like you say, your why was opportunity. What are your thoughts on that now? Because clearly you're kind of alluding to the fact that some things have changed for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, whenever you're in a family business, I, certainly wanted to support the decision that my husband was passionate about starting this business. And that's something that I'm proud of. I'm proud of supporting that decision and giving up whatever I needed to give up in order to support this dream. 
And so I think that's great. I don't think that I always prioritized my strengths and my calling and my gifts and talents in my decisions. I think I've always, and it's not a negative thing to sacrifice all the time, but in that moment, looking back, I realized that I was doing what was best for our family and for what I thought was best at that time was for our family. And now that I'm learning more about what my strengths are, what my opportunities are and what my calling is, I realize now that that isn't how I'm going to make those decisions moving forward because I think it did prevent me from being who I'm called to be because I was doing things. It was like fitting a square peg into a round hole. I was doing things that I was not naturally talented at. And I do have, I'm, it's not that I'm on this pedestal. Everybody has strengths and talents and I was not doing what I'm best at. And I was doing things that I wasn't best at. So that, Mm. that was a hard thing to, to recognize, and it honestly took quite a few years for me to get to that point because when you start a business, you're so all in. Like you said before, there are pros and cons to having your blinders up and being all in. If it's something that you're called to do, that's great. And if it's something you're not, then you don't, you're so in the grind for so long. Eventually you lift up your head and you realize, what am I doing? Hmm. I think there's something really good here in that we always say that there's a difference between self-improvement and selfish improvement. And I think that one of the things we've noticed over the course of the past year and a half or so since starting this business is that we work with impact-driven leaders and impact-driven leaders by nature are service-focused, right? Like they want to focus on serving others, which is a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful thing because that is leadership. Leadership is service and there's not a distinction between the two. But I think that sometimes we can get it twisted in thinking in order to serve and lead others well, I might have to be miserable for an extended period of time. And it, it turns out that maybe what's best for Kelly's family isn't that she's completely operating outside of her lane for years on end or for an extended period of time. Turns out what's best for Kelly's family is Kelly's operating in who she's called to be and what she's called to do in the rhythm she's called to operate in. And I just, I don't think that God's calling involves like compounding misery, right? right? And now I think there's suffering and there's hardship and there's challenge for sure. But sometimes it's like we're creating our own misery and we're calling it service. And in reality, we're not serving people because we're miserable. And, and so I guess, can you speak a little bit to like, what was the lesson you've learned and how did you learn it about making sure that you put personal growth and personal health in its right place with regard to your life and your leadership, Kelly? Yeah. So we owned that business for, it's been five, five years now that the construction business has been operating. And a few years into it, I did recognize that my health was declining big time. The stress was compounding. It was not good on my family, my relationship, my physical health, everything. It really did cause pretty traumatic life events for my family. So I did have the opportunity to take over that company and lead it. And 
I felt like, again, this is an opportunity. And I don't know that I had given myself the permission or the freedom to realize that you could do something that is your calling, not just an opportunity. And I've read about it. I've heard people talk about it. And it just seems like this fantasy, like, oh, good for them that they're doing this career that makes them fulfilled. But I'm over here and I have to be doing this. And I remember meeting with you one time and you said to me, what is it about you that drives you to do this? And I thought, what kind of a question is that? Why would I not do this? And you said, you do know that most people in your position would not continue to do what you're doing. Like you, not everyone would actually continue to run this company. Like you don't have to do this. And I thought, well, yes, I do. I absolutely have to do this. Like this is what I have to do. I have to run my company. I have employees that rely on me. And at this time, you know, I had 18 employees under me and I thought, wow, what do you mean I don't have to do this? And I had thought about that and like, look at my quality of life and my level of stress. And I can hardly, I used to run marathons and I could hardly run because my stomach hurt so bad from all of the stress. And I mean, it was drastically affecting my, my health and my quality of life. And I just thought, you know, I don't have to do this. This is ridiculous. I've created this business that I have become a slave to. And it's not honoring God. It's not honoring me or my family. It's actually the opposite. And so rather than living that life of feeling like a victim, I decided I'm not a victim. I'm not a slave to my own company. I'm going to take agency of my life and I'm going to intentionally realign my life with what I believe my values are. And I don't have to do this anymore. So that was a big, bold move. Again, it goes along with that identity shift where, you know, I'm this college volleyball coach and that was big and excellent. And then I've transformed or created this big coffee business and competing at America's Best Espresso. And it's like, wow, now this is your new identity. And then you built this multi-million dollar construction company. And now that's your identity. And I struggled so much with that, with what I do or what I produce or what my profit is on the year is how people view you. And I realized like that is the most dangerous, toxic thing that you can do to yourself. And realizing that my identity is in Christ. It's not in what I do. It's not in how much money I make or what title I have or what business I own. It's in who I am. And I'm a child of God. And I'm so confident and secure in that, that what I do is just the vessel of how I let God use my life. And it means so much more who I am than what it is that I do that now I get to work with you. <laughs> I mean, praise God. Like that, I mean, that, oh God, I, oh gosh, I'm going to have tears in my eyes. Like Kelly, I mean, that testimony is amazing. And truly like when we say that verse from, Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. I just think we are all responsible for living a story that when people hear the story, they can't do anything but say, praise God. 
And I just want to tell you, my goodness, I mean, you and I probably met two and a half to three years ago. We were in a one-on-one coaching relationship through Path for Growth probably about a year and a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And and that's when I started working with you. And it was throughout this whole transition. And it's like, I've seen your mindset. I've seen your heart shift as you've kind of moved away from the construction company and stepped into this new thing and everything that's occurred in that time period. And it's like, you can't do anything but say, praise God. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing. And when you tell that story and when you tell like your mindset now about the fact that your work is not who you are, it's just the vehicle through which you get to serve. It's like, those are nice words. But what I want people to hear is I now work with Kelly and I've known Kelly for a long time. And they're not just words. There's something different whenever you start to view your work not as an identity thing. And it's actually just the place that you get to serve. But you said something in there in the period of leading the construction company. And you had 18 employees at this time. Mm -hmm. And you said something to the effect of, like, it's actually could be God honoring to step away from that, to move away from that, because leading the way that things were being led was not necessarily God honoring. And what I want to clarify is like, I mean, I was working with Kelly during this period. She was focusing on the people in her company, investing in their personal growth. She was, the company was growing. Uh, the numbers were looking really good. Like seriously, so many things were up and to the right. Y'all were signing bigger and new contracts. Like there was so much that was going well. And so it's really interesting to hear, like you say, like it wasn't necessarily God honoring. I'd love to know, like, what do you mean by that? The business itself was a successful business and had been. And I think at that time, I, so I could see the level of stress and I could see that I was forcing myself to fit into an industry that I didn't feel like I was called to be in. And I'm competitive enough where sometimes I get in God's way. Sometimes I try to prove to God that I've got this. Like I can become a licensed general contractor and lead this company. And so I... <laughs> Which we didn't even talk about that story. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, how many times did you take that test? Well, there were two tests that I had to take. In the International Building Code exam, I ended up taking it five times. And that was probably the yeah. humbling thing I've had to go through. So mixed I mean, up. that test, just so people know, I mean, that test is insane. I mean, like the, the what it takes to pass that test is just outrageous. And for Kelly to be someone that did not have a background in construction to say, I'm going to do that test. I remember meeting you and you telling me that and me being like, are you sure? Are you sure that's a good idea? And you're like, no, I'm going to do it. Okay. But I, I cut you off though. Like we're talking about this distinction between being in God's will and being in God's way. And you were saying, I'm pursuing becoming a general contractor. And maybe at the same time, you knew like this isn't calling, or at least like there was something in the back of your head that knew this isn't what I was created for. I think while I was studying for that test, I didn't allow myself to think that. I was more in in that level of, I have to do this. I have to be certified. I have to hold this license for our company to continue to to build for our projects to keep going. And so I was more 
in that mindset. Our, the projects that we built were throughout the country and this license held, allowed us to build in Colorado, Arizona, Oklahoma, Nebraska, all throughout the country. So for us to take on, to continue to take on these projects that our developer were asking us to do, this license was required. Then once I got it, it was like I got that tunnel vision off. Once I passed, I just, I was able to take a deep breath and lift my head up again. And that's again, where I was saying, once you get out of that grind for a minute, and then I was going back to restructuring the company and changing who was doing what. And then I started realizing, you know, I could create this business where I'm out of the day-to-day operations and I hire people that are more skilled at the things that I'm not skilled at. But I also realized like it was, it's a stressful industry and it's things that I'm not naturally gifted at. And I think there are other people that could run that business that are more naturally gifted at that. And that is okay. It's okay for me to recognize this isn't my calling. And maybe I'm not as passionate about this as I am about other things. And if I'm spending the bulk of my time and energy focused on something that I'm not called to do, I feel like I am preventing myself from doing what God wants to do with me. And that takes a lot of guts to be able to look at something that you that you own and that you have and say, you know what, I don't think I'm... Especially when it's going well. Like, it's one thing if it's going poorly. If it's going well and you're saying that, it's like, that's incredibly challenging, right? right? And and I think, like, one of the principles that I take from what you're saying there is just the idea that no amount of business growth will ever solve for you being in the wrong lane. And if you're in the wrong lane, then business growth is success, but it is not fulfillment, and right. and I think a lot of times people confuse or they get it twisted and mixed up the difference between success and fulfillment and no amount of success will create fulfillment. Would you, I mean, would you say that's correct? Absolutely. And I think when you're younger and you start having kids and if you're not just like super financially well off, you just take on things because you feel like you have to. Like, yeah, I'll babysit. Yeah, I'll go mow lawns. I'll go do all the, you know, lemonade stands because you're like, I just have to make money. And you're not really thinking about what did God call me to do? Like, oh, I'm not really called to mow lawns, so I'm not going to do that. It's like, no, you have an opportunity to go make money. You need to go do it so you can go pay for your phone or whatever. You know, that's where my kids are at right now. So I can see the, the progression. But as you get to a spot in life where you say, you know, I'm not going to live in, I'm going to choose to not live in survival mode for the rest of my life. Like that's not where God wants us to be. And you, there are times where there are events that happen to your life where you are put in that position, but I do believe it's your choice to recognize that and make it and make that decision. I'm either going to sit in this and I'm just going to be miserable for the rest of my life and be a victim to the situation or I'm going to say, you know what, this just, this isn't right. This isn't mm-hmm. where God wants me to be forever. And I need to take a step back. And I think and this is where I've really valued my friendship with you is you can't just overnight make those decisions. So I intentionally, I took a month off where I just sat there and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to scripture. I'm going to surround myself with people that support me and love me 
and can see my worth and help me understand what am I called to do? What am I best at? And so I made a vow and a commitment for the next month. I'm not going to take any opportunities. If I get a job opportunity, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to sit and wait in it and pray about it and really decide what is it that God wants me to do with my life. Hmm. That's so powerful. And, and so often we don't take the time to do that. And what's crazy is like, I've had a similar period and that's why you and I kind of had a discussion about you taking that period. Like I had a period where it's like, I got to sit back and take an extended period of time and say like, what do I want to do with my life? Now it doesn't always look like you taking that period and of time to ask that question. And then suddenly because you took that period of time, now you get to do it, right? Like it doesn't always work that way. But I think the biggest thing here is there's Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is where there is no vision, the people perish, right? You've heard me talk about that verse so much. And Eugene Peterson's translation of that verse in the message version of the Bible is when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, then they will be most blessed. And I think what we're talking about here is attending to what God is revealing. It's not being so heads down in the opportunity that we're missing what God is actually wanting to happen. And like one of the things that I've learned in my career path is like, yeah, like we get into these conversations about calling and I love you talking about your kids. Like, well, I'm not called to mow the lawn. (laughs) I I didn't ask if you were called. You're going to mow the lawn, right? Like that's what you're going to do. And it's like, there was a season of my life where for about a year and a half, I took cancel calls, right? It was like, like people that were wanting to cancel a monthly program. I was taking those calls and trying to talk them off the ledge. Was that my calling? Now I'm so, I, I, could do a whole podcast episode on what I learned from that season and and the way it changed me as a person, as a man, and as a leader in so many ways. But I think one of the ways you know if it's where you're supposed to be right now is if there are no other options, right? It's like I was doing cancel calls at that time. It's like, okay, like you may not love this, but what are you going to go do? (laughs) And it's like, okay, well, I, I don't know what else there is to do. And it's like, well, if the answer is there's nothing else, like mowing the lawn, right? Kids mowing the lawn. It's like, sometimes you need to mow the lawn. And sometimes that's exactly where God has you. And maybe calling is that today because he's preparing you for something in the future. But I think that there's some people that if they would just open their eyes to what God's saying, like, I'm opening a door for you, I'm providing a way for you, and you are still enslaving yourself to this because it it represents the comfort of what is known instead of having the courage to to wade into the unknown. And I think that might be the distinction because what I don't want people to hear is just that we're advocating this idea that it's like, oh, just sit down and decide what is my calling and then immediately quit your job. That's not what we're saying. Right. Right. No, not at all. And, you know, I'm in a position in my life right now where I was able to take that time off. So it wasn't an irresponsible thing to do. I think that is also important to say. I don't, I agree. I don't think that everybody should just go take a month off and just sit there and go to the beach for a month. Like I was pretty intentional about what I did in that month. I knew that reestablishing my habits and my rhythms and my morning routine, all of that was something that had gone out the window with my 
previous career because it was so stressful. And I, I saw that spiral and I thought, you know, no matter what it is that I end up doing as a career, if I can focus on who I am in this next month, no matter what I do, I'm going to be a better version of myself going into that. So it's not like I slept in and just <laughs> video for a month and then was like, I guess I found out my calling. Like I'm going to, you know, <laughs> a cookie dough taster now. Like it was way more intentional than that. So. I read the book, The 5am Club. I got on board with that. I was very intentional about restructuring my lifestyle and what was important to me on my, in my life, on my day to day rhythms. I even, I sold my house. I downsized. I sold stuff. I simplified everything where, you know, I thought I want to be a good mom. I want to be a strong Christian. I want to have good relationships. I want to focus on my health. I had never journaled before and I've always read about it. I've heard about it. I've heard this, this is so beneficial. And I've always thought, well, I don't have time because I'm running this business. I don't have time to just like journal. And I'm like, well, that, those are the lies right there. That's what was preventing me from being who God called me to be because I was so wrapped up in this business that it was cutting into my lifestyle of who I wanted to be to serve and honor God. So that's what I did for a month was I woke up. I have a, a whole routine that I created for myself. And, and it's something that isn't perfect for every person, but it's what I needed to be disciplined again and therefore increase my confidence. You know, I, I wasn't confident in who I was going into it. So I thought in order for me to build my confidence, I need to go through and try something hard, like waking up at 5am is hard for me. I say that, and I'm sure people are like, oh, she's one of those people that wakes up at 5am. No, I'm not one of those people. Which is <laughs> I had to take a month off to focus on it. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that was one of our first conversations is we got into something about morning routine or something. And, and you just said, Alex, you don't understand. I love to sleep. Like, I I love to sleep. It's like, okay, I got it. But okay, before we get into that month, because there's so much that happened in that month, I mean, I think even you would say was like a pivotal crux moment for you. And I mean, honestly, for your life, which is so powerful. But before we get there, like I can see people crossing their arms and shaking their head and be like, you've got 18 team members. You can't do this. And for the record, like Kelly transitioned her role out of the company exceptionally well. And, and she sold her role in the company. The company still exists, all of that. So it wasn't just a immediate hit the eject button, obviously. But then the other thing that I would say is, you know, you've got 18 team members and sometimes it's not people leaving the job, but sometimes it's people making a decision that I'm actually going to start taking responsibility for taking care of the man or woman that's in the mirror. And the immediate objection that comes up is the one that you just said, which is, I don't have time for that. And I've got 18 team members. And if you say that I've got 18 team members, I don't have time for that. I would tell you, you don't have time not to do that. Right. Like you put your business in order by first putting yourself in order. Absolutely. And you have to put your personal growth in order as a matter of responsibility because you want to be the type of leader that people actually want to follow. 
Yeah. And it turns out that the type of leader that people want to follow is not someone whose relationships are struggling, who isn't giving enough time to their family, whose physical health is a mess, whose spiritual life is completely scattered, and who's constantly running around with their hair on fire, right? Like, this is at the crux of why our business exists, is to help impact-driven leaders practice healthy growth. And it starts with you. And everyone wants to talk about healthy growth for their business, but they don't want to talk about healthy growth for their life. And that's the first part of leadership. And we have to do it not as a matter of, oh, that's a convenience thing. No, that that is a calling thing. It's something that you're responsible for. And therefore, you need to start taking ownership of it. So I'm sorry. I just get on a little bit of a soapbox on that because I, I think it's so important. And I think it's at the centerpiece of what your story is talking about, Kelly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so important that, you know, like you said, I've been working with you for a few years and you've challenged me to have a mission statement and I've never written one for myself. I wrote one for my business, which I feel like I've failed myself and my business and my family for not writing my own. And since I've been with you, you've challenged me again as part of my onboarding process to have a mission statement. And so I just wrote one can I share it with you so I can? <laughs> yes. yes. This is your personal mission statement. Yes. Go for it. So I'm created to steward my body and soul so that I can serve and build up those in my influence. And if I'm true to that, I can see that I was not doing that when I was in the construction business. And That's so right. I can see now I have my mission statement and my core values. And I thought I knew I, I lived the lie of I don't need to actually write my mission statement. I know what I stand for. I know who I am. I know why I do what I do. I just haven't written it down. And so I had that in the back of my mind. And then I just kept doing it and just kept running the business and kept making the same decisions over and over again. And then I was frustrated. And now that I've taken a step back and I've gone back to figuring these things out, I see now how clearly it is that I was in the wrong seat. Yeah. And like taking the time to actually do that. It's an exercise that I did. Gosh, I want to say it was my sophomore year in college because someone made me. And isn't it crazy that someone has to make you uh, put a sentence on paper that defines why you do what you do. Right. But several years ago, and it's changed since then, but now mine is to glorify the God of the universe by using the gifts he's given me, which are effective communication and leadership to inspire understanding, action, purpose, and faith in the lives of the people that I meet. And it's like, if I have an opportunity to do that, then I'm in the right lane. And that can be on a cancel call. That can be at Starbucks. That can be as the CEO and founder of Path for Growth. But if I ever look up and I'm not doing that, I could still be the CEO of Path for Growth and not be doing that. And if that ever happens, I've deviated, right? Right. Because all writing a personal mission statement is it's taking the time to say, okay, God, what do you want to reveal? What do you want to reveal with regard to my passions and strengths and gifts and talents and heartbeat and desires and and the things that make me irrationally angry in the world and the things that you've given me that I feel called to do? It's saying, God, what do you have to say about that? And then putting it in a sentence so that you can use it. And so, Kelly, I'm I'm so stoked that you have that now. And I'm so stoked that's part of our onboarding process for team members and coaches at Path for Growth. I think it's essential. It's absolutely essential. And the fact that we don't teach that in school is mind-boggling. But 
the Path for Growth School is a, a mission of ours. That's a, that's a, Zach tells me that's a 10 or 15 year goal, but it's, it's a goal. Believe me, it's a goal. Okay. So let's jump into that month. What I'd love for you to talk about with regard to what you established in that month and are now continuing on is just like, what was the morning routine? that for you became so foundational and talk to us a little bit about how you got that established. Sure. So <clears throat> I don't, I never wake up early. The only time I've ever woke up this early was in January when we did the five at five challenge. And that was the <laughs> biggest challenge I've ever done. I've done a lot of hard things, but waking up early is, it's my biggest weakness. And so we have I, to tell people what the five at five challenge is. So yeah. I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast or not. Every January for the past, it's either five or six years now, I've done five miles at 5 a.m. every day except Sunday in the month of January. I hate it and I love it all at the same time. It's awful and it's great. And one of the crazy things, the crazy awesome things that happened this year is I shared with people that I was doing it again in January because honestly, it helps to share it on social media for some accountability from people and, and you get held accountable. And for the first time ever, ever, there were like four or five lunatics that messaged me and said, I want to do it with you. I didn't even ask if they wanted to do it with me. They, they wanted to do it with me. And then it was crazy. Like a week into it, I'm talking to Kelly because she's a Path for Growth customer and she just lets me know casually, like, oh, by the way, that thing that you said you're doing, I'm also doing it right now. And it's like, oh, my God, she's doing it. She's doing five at five. So it's five miles at 5 a.m., six days a week. And you were not a morning person, but you did it. And not only 5 a.m., let's be real. You were running by 5 a.m. That means you're waking up before five. Like, Sometimes you just set the alarm clock for five and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I, the alarm went off. No, you have to be prepared and ready and have your shoes on and all the things and be running by 5 a.m. So that was an even bigger challenge for me. So Okay. And uh, let, so let's just talk about that real quick because I think that's important. What did that do for your leadership in that season? Because you were still operating the, in the construction company in that time. Yeah. And I'm just a big believer, like, although, like, there's a lot you got out of that time and, and you ultimately shifted away, like, nothing is wasted. And God used that time. I'm like, you were leading in the company. You, in, in, like, you installed KRAs into the company. You installed one-on-one -on -one meetings into the company. Like, you did so many good things and God used you to do good things. So what did the whole five at five challenge in the month of January do for your leadership? I so many things. One, I was significantly more disciplined. And when I'm disciplined, I set out goals. I try to do crazy challenges all the time, but oftentimes they fake. You know, like you have a New Year's resolution and you say, I'm never going to eat chocolate again. And then March comes around and you eat chocolate. Now it decreases your confidence because you failed. And so yeah, more like January 16th comes right, around and yeah, chocolate. probably more accurate. But so this pilot five challenge was so good because there was a group of us, a small group, highly motivated, and everybody was actually doing it. And not only doing it, but like on time every day. And you could tell because by the time it was six o'clock, everybody was taking a picture or doing some type of a, a post, letting everybody know I finished my run or and then there was also honesty and transparency where, you know, realistically, did I wake up and start running at 5 a.m. every single day? No. 
there were some days where I hit snooze two or three times and I felt comfortable enough to be honest and say, Hey guys, I hit snooze twice. I didn't start running until 530. I'm also significantly slower than you, Alex. I don't run five minute miles. So I was done in an hour. Okay. For the record, neither do I. No, you're setting an image that I'm never going to be able to live up to. I have never run a five-minute mile in my life. For the five at five, it's like a seven-minute mile. Okay. So <laughs> I'll be very transparent. At that time in January, I was running between nine to 10-minute miles. So I'm done in like an hour. And whether I hit snooze or not, everybody was done Posting, you know, saying they're done while I'm still running. I'm like, well, that's awesome. Good job, you guys. (laughs) But that accountability was really good. And the fact that it was a simple task, it wasn't every day was a different workout. It was just easy to do like, okay, you wake up and you do it and then you check it off the list. And so by the end of the month, when I had actually accomplished it, it built up my confidence significantly where I thought, you know, I've gone through this, trying to take this test and fail it, try and take it again, fail it again, where it's, it, it beat up my confidence a little bit where I was like, man, try to do these things. And, you know, it's hard. And when you go out and do hard things and then you accomplish it, it increases your confidence a little bit where you're like, yeah, I can do hard things and I can fail along the process. Like I don't have to be perfect and things aren't going to come to me naturally, but if I'm dedicated and disciplined and then I accomplish it, that's, that helped me with my confidence. And at that time, leading a construction company as a woman, I did feel like I had to prove myself at times and it felt good to be able to say, you know, I can do this. I am disciplined enough to say I have to go to bed at nine o'clock because I do love to sleep. I'm not the type that can go and do that on four hours of sleep. I had to go to bed at like nine at the latest 10 o'clock in order to wake up at 4.30 to be on the treadmill at five. So Mm. those were all really hard things. And in, in the previous months, my discipline and my habits had gone by the wayside because I was overwhelmed with the business and I had let that go. So that was good to be able to get that back. Mm. That's so powerful. I, I haven't voiced this yet, but I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm commit, I'm doing it for another year. I've already decided five at five in January is happening. Are you willing on this podcast to make a commitment to oh, doing it another year? Sure. And I'm going to call out Gideon right now. He's got to be too. <laughs> <laughs> Gideon is one of our Path for Growth members. He's a customer of ours that did it with us as well. And Jackie and Bryce, you better be in it as well. And if anyone wants to join it, we still got a little bit till January, right. but buckle up. Five at five is coming. And so, yeah, I'm so, I can't wait till January now. It's going to be a blast. I, I can totally wait till January and I can't wait till January. Yeah. It doesn't have to be fun, right? Okay. So we've talked so much about this pivotal month for you. Yeah. So I want to kind of set the scene for people. Like we had a conversation Kelly had sold her shares of the construction company and we had a conversation about whether or not she would be a good fit for a coaching role at Path for Growth. And it was myself and her and Zach on a call. Zach is our COO. And I I just remember it was such a powerful conversation because it felt like it was Holy Spirit imbued in so many ways. And we kind of just decided like, man, Kelly has literally now verbalized that she has a propensity to chase 
opportunity instead of chase calling. And I think we all have a propensity to do that. I, I have absolutely done that before in my life and in my career. And we said, if, if she's going to be shifting into a role where she's pouring into the life of other impact driven leaders, what she's learned through her experience in business and leadership and personal growth, then we need to make sure it's calling and not opportunity. And really like this business is going to grow at the pace that we can find people who want to work with it that are called, right? Like I don't want people that just want a great job. I, it will be a great job, but I want a team of people that feel called to be on this team and on this mission. And so we said, Kelly, what would it look like for you to take 30 days and just completely open yourself up to God, what are you calling me to do? And not just accept the next opportunity. And so I'd love for you just to kind of do a high level overview of like, what did that 30 days look like? And what did you learn in that 30 days, Kelly? Yeah, it was the hardest 30 days of my life because I am a high energy person. I'm an achiever. I like to be busy and I like accomplishing big things. So for me to take 30 days off and literally in the world's perspective, not accomplish anything was like the biggest challenge I've ever done. With that said, I now see that it's probably the biggest accomplishment that I've ever done. But from the outside looking in, I, again, I had to have my blinders up because people didn't get what I was doing and I, and people would verbalize it with me. They would say like, don't you think you need to get a job? Don't you think you need to be X, Y, and Z? Or what are you even doing with your life? Or, you know, and I had, I literally had people saying that to me in my life. It wasn't my perception of me. I wonder what people are thinking. That is literally what they were saying. to me. And my response was, I was confident in what I was doing. I would say, I'm working on my habits. I'm working on my morning routine. I'm, you know, I want, I'm not going to take opportunities this month. I'm going to strip down my life, get rid of the distractions, get rid of things that I don't need that aren't serving me. And I'm going to rebuild my daily routine and daily habits with the things that are going to allow God to use me in whatever it is that I do in 30 days from now. Of course, in the back of my mind, I hoped it was going to be with Path for Growth. So that was hard to just be like, that's oper- that's an opportunity. <laughs> you know, I've got people saying like, do you think you're going to get that job? I'm like, I am trying so hard to not think about that. And I would tell people like, the purpose of this month is to not think about that. So I'm just ask, I would just ask that you don't bring that up with me because I'm trying to genuinely focus on who God wants me to be and how I can restructure my lifestyle to be in line with that. So my morning routine, what I chose to do, like I said, I read the book, The 5am Club, and I did follow that pretty closely, but, but I made some modifications that were going to be more in line with what I wanted to do and what I felt like would be more honoring for my life. I've always been an athlete and in that book, it really only put in there like 20 minutes of physical exercise in the morning before. And I was like, 20 minutes? Who only works out for 20 minutes? And (laughs) so that wasn't going to work for me. But I did understand the concept of doing physical exercise or getting your blood flowing before you did the next step. So what I did was I woke up at 5 a.m. 
And then I did 20 minutes of yoga. And the reason I chose yoga was because I have a hard time relaxing. I have a hard time slowing down and getting myself to actually like breathe and take a deep breath and just take it in. So I love the idea of yoga and it's not to like tell people like, oh, I'm a yogi and I'm this big hippie. It really is because I struggle just sitting still. So that was something I intentionally did. So 20 minutes of yoga. And then I had a devotion that I was doing on boundaries. So I did a boundary Bible study devotion thing for 20 minutes. And then I did journaling for 20 minutes. And those are all things that I've valued that I've never made a priority in my life. So when I say this, I don't want to come off like, like I'm this perfect person that has this perfect morning routine. Like that was never who I was. And I saw people that did it. And I've listened to your podcast and I've read all the books of highly successful people that have these morning habits and rituals. And I thought, wow, they're doing something that I've never done before. I want to incorporate that into my life and just think how much that would help me. So, so I started with that. And then after I did that, I then did an hour of cardio. So either I have a Peloton bike and a treadmill. So I either ran or did the bike for an hour after that. And then I have a shake. So I eat a shake every day after I work out. And again, when I was moving and doing my business, I kind of got out of that routine. And then if I didn't have a shake, then I would sometimes forget to eat, honestly. Like I would just go through the day and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's three o'clock. I haven't even not only had lunch, I haven't even had breakfast yet. And it's not because I'm trying to lose weight. Like I'm super into health and maximizing your potential. And I know that I need the energy to fuel my body. So I knew that if I could just incorporate that into my routine, it would be beneficial as I started to build more back into my schedule. Of course, when I didn't work for a month, I would have had time to make this big elaborate breakfast, but I knew what I was doing was building a foundation for my future. So I wanted to create those habits for when I did add stuff back in. So that was my morning routine. And then pretty much after that, it was like, go spend time with my kids, spend intentional one-on-one time with friends and family. I rekindled some relationships within my family and my friends that I didn't have as much time to do before when I was doing my business. So I was intentional about that. So then I had an Excel sheet where before the month, you know, you and Zach challenged me to do this 30 day deal, but it really was like seven or eight days before the end of the month. And I thought, I'm not going to start in the middle of the month. I'm going to start on the first of the month. So I spent a few days figuring out what are the things that I'm going to focus on? What am I committing to this month? I oftentimes get too big with my goals and too, not that the goal is too big, but I take on too many challenges. So I wanted to simplify it. So I made an Excel sheet that just said, did you wake up at 5 a.m.? Check. Did you hit snooze? Yes or no. And my goal was don't hit snooze. So I'm trying to like break it down to make it like I'm actually focusing on not hitting snooze. Then did I do the yoga? Check. Did I do my devotion? Check. Did I do my journal? Check. Did I eat my shake? Check. And then I had a little calculation at the end of the day. And if I got all the points, then I got my points that at the end of the month, I had a certain number that I had to get. And if I got all of those at the end, then I had a reward. 
<laughs> okay. Well, first of all, like uh, there's so much in this and we could do an entire episode on this and we probably will one day. All of the science says that number one, the thing that will get you to where you want to go is not willpower, it's habits. And what Kelly is talking about is a series of habits that she did every single day. So when we talk about the phrase practice healthy growth, that's not just a nice phrase. It's what we're talking about right here. It's recognizing that the person that you are called to be is not going to happen because of the things that you do that are extravagant. It's going to happen because of the things that you do that are consistent. And she was doing these things every single day. And the science also shows that whenever you pair it with a compelling scoreboard, anytime you get to check a box saying, I did yoga or I ate the shake or I did my workout, there's a dopamine hit in your brain that says, oh my gosh, I did what I was supposed to do. And rewards are part of effective habit building. And so if you don't have a reward system in place, you are minimizing your chances of being successful. But then although those minor rewards are helpful, there's also great benefit and data that shows that if you have a milestone reward at the end of a certain period of time, that pays off as well. So, And it's got to be worthwhile. So you decided on a worthwhile reward. Are, are are you willing to, to tell people what it was? Oh, absolutely. There are time, There was a time where I was maybe embarrassed about it. And now I'm learning to break down my walls and be a little more vulnerable so I can be authentic and real, right? So I'll, it. I'll tell it to you. So there's a jewelry place that I called Tiffany's. <laughs> <laughs> Just a small little local mom and pop shop, yeah, right? And they have a ring that has a gemstone on it and it has a butterfly on it. And it's pretty symbolic of my phase of life right now, these transitions. And I'm not um, getting my identity in the career that I have or what house I live in or what it is that I'm doing, but that I'm truly rooting my identity in who I am in Christ. And that butterfly definitely represents like being more free and going off and being confident in who I am, no matter what it is that I am portraying to other people based on those identities of how the world perceives you. So that was a significant enough of a, of a reward to motivate me to wake up at 5 a.m. There weren't a ton of things where, and you know, like at the five at five challenge that we had in January, we had a group of five of us where I had that accountability. And there's something to be said about that. In this month that I took off, I had no accountability. I didn't have, you know, people texting me at six o'clock. Did you do it? Did you wake up? Did you get that done? So for me, it was a significant enough reward where I felt like I'm, I need to do this for me and for my future and for God to honor God. And that was enough for me to feel like this is a little sting, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, I've heard it, but it's apparently it takes a while for them to come. So because you have to like, cut okay, them. we haven't got the ring in yet. We'll, no. we'll, we'll make sure we let people know when the <laughs> ring comes in. I love it. That's so good. So there's a couple things before we get to kind of some of the final questions about kind of the role that you're going to be playing at Path for Growth and things like that. I went through a period of my life as well where for an extended period of time, my focus was who am I in God? 
What are the habits that I need to establish that will make me more into that man and that leader and who I'm called to be? And then that becomes your full-time job. And I know for a fact there's people listening to this right now that would say, I could never do that, or I don't have time for that, or I can't do that. And as long as you say that, you are absolutely right. That's right. Like as long as you say, I, I don't, I can't take a month off or, or something like that, or I, I could never leave my business for a month, or I could never step away from what I'm doing day to day for a month to just make this a priority. As long as you say that, you're absolutely right. And I'm not saying that you'll be able to just like press a button and make it happen tomorrow. But what I am saying is, what would it look like for you to ask the question, what would have to be true for me to take a month off? What would have to be true for me to take a month off from my business where the leaders who I've put in charge of the business are empowered and able to run it so that I could make sure I'm healthy, centered, stable, and strong? What would have to be true? Because the minute you start actually asking the question, you're perceiving it as possible. And when you see start to perceive it as possible, it's crazy how you start to get answers, right? The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Most of us don't have the courage to ask. And most of us really don't ask with our actions, right? And so if that's something you actually want, which first of all, decide if you actually want it, but if you do want it, what would have to be true for you to be able to do that? And don't allow yourself to fall for the pithy lie of, oh, I could never, or I can't, or I'll never be able to, because that is a limiting belief that will hold you and therefore the people you're called to serve back. And God has more for you. He does. And and he wants you to be who you're created to be. And that's why we exist is to help you do that. Okay. So with that, we got on the call with Kelly at the end of that month, and she shared this whole story with us of everything that she's went through and everything that she's learned and all the habits that she's instilled and the foundation that she's laid and this mindset shift that she's had. And I'm like biting at the bit being like, she's literally a path for growth poster child and she wants to work with us. And you probably remember this. One of the questions that I asked you that, I mean, I was legitimately serious about is Kelly, you were equipped before as someone that has owned and led a mitten company, a, a coffee roasting company, and a construction company, and you have a coaching background in athletics, like I said, you could absolutely do this on your own and crush it. Like you could go start Kelly Krieger Incorporated and crush it like not tomorrow, today. And I said, why, like why Path for Growth? Why would you do this? And I'd love to, I'd love for you to explain like what that why is. Yeah. Well, I could, but sometimes, I mean, a huge lesson I've learned is just because you could doesn't mean that you should. And I probably could, but that's not where I'm at right now. And I am so passionate about the mission that you have in place and Zach has in place and Path for Growth that I can like feel the magnetic attraction where it's like, Kelly, you are meant to be with these people. They value the things that you are leaning towards. As I'm redefining what I prioritize, what I want, who I want to be, you guys are in line directly. Like the path, it's so cliche. Here I go. My path for growth is in line with what you're, what you guys are preaching and teaching to do. And so it's a, I'm so blessed that the timing works out where 
you're meeting a new coach and I'm in this phase of life and it's lining up at the same time, it's like, well, that is a God thing for sure. And that's not just an opportunity. That's calling meeting an opportunity. And it's like, okay, that's when you feel like God is directing you and you just have to be obedient in that. But Mm. I, you know, again, I love working with people. I love everything about the role that I get to be in leading these other business owners in seeing the challenges that they have. And on the office hours calls that we have, the workshops, I can hear people say the things that I have lived through. And I can just see the opportunity to be able to breathe into their life where it's like, man, it doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, we were just talking about this earlier today where a lot of people think that they come here for business advice, but really it starts with the business owner and your personal habits and your own personal growth. And I mean, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to tie it all together in follow the mission that you guys have that we have now which is so exciting like we're so excited to to have you on board and like yeah like blessing is what i would call it too like and i didn't think about this before we started recording but i think the title of this episode is calling trump's opportunity Right. And I really I think that's true. I think it's the path and the story that you've lived, but also the path and the story that you are living like you are living into it every single day right now, which is so exciting. And what's crazy is you look back like I remember talking to you at the construction company. It's like the leadership part with people was the part that you actually loved. Like when you started doing one-on-one meetings with the people that were on the team in the company, you were like, oh my gosh, Alex, I'm so excited. I love this. It was just, there was this thing called construction that was getting in the way of you doing that all the time. And it's like, oh my gosh, well now the part that she loves, the leading and the investing in and the asking compelling questions and getting people to change the way they think about personal growth and leadership and about their business. It's like, that's your full-time job now. And so Kelly's role, Kelly will be playing the role of coach, but also our goal for Kelly is we just feel like we are called as a business to teach path for growth principles and then give people the opportunity to apply them, to put them into action in the context of a life-giving relationship. And we're doing that with people right now, with myself as a one-on-one coach, with Gerald, who you've heard on this podcast as a one-on-one coach, with Olivia, who's our growth group coach. And Kelly is going to step in as a coach as well. But then beyond that, like we know that there are a lot of business leaders and a lot of business owners out there that have learned so much, that have become so strong, and that line up with this idea that my strength is not for me, my strength is for service. And so you better believe, unless God tells us to stop, we believe we're called to grow this thing. And we know that there's there needs to be someone beyond me that literally views the coaching arm of this business, the life-giving relationship side of this business as their full-time job. And Zach and I both looked at each other and we, we were like, well, why would that not be Kelly Creeker? Like, like, I mean, it has to be Kelly Creeker. And so that's the role that she's going to be playing. I'd love to know from you, you're maybe 35 days in your onboarding process. I mean, some, it's yeah. the amount of work you have accomplished is just insane. It's just outrageous. 
What's the biggest thing you've learned from being a part of this team just in in the first month or so, Kelly? So many things. I think the first thing that comes to my mind, your core values, your mission statement, and your vision are so clearly defined. It's something that you teach, but it's also something that you have ingrained into your business from day one, where it makes it so easy to get on board, where you're like, yeah, I've heard about doing that with other companies, but you did it before you grew it so big where it's like, it's just so natural that everybody falls into that. One of my favorite core values that you have is freedom and responsibility. It's a concept that I've not ever heard. It's not, it's honestly not how I even ran my business and it's not how I raised my kids. So it's totally shifting the way that I am doing life. And so freedom and responsibility, like the more responsibility that you have, the more freedom that we get that we've earned. Right. And so it's an amazing thing where I have freedom to work from wherever I am or from, I could be at the pool and my kids are there and I'm listening to a podcast and I'm, you know, I'm all in and I'm listening and I'm taking it in and I have the freedom to do that. And that's something I've never experienced before. I've fell into the lie that I have to sit in an office next to someone else and I have to prove to them that I put in a nine hour day. And because I did that, I am viewed as productive or I am successful because I had a fancy office and I had the pen and had the stamp saying I put in my time today. And I could have not have accomplished anything in that day, but because I'm able to have that freedom, I can do it. I can create my schedule based on what works for me and my kids. Like my kids were with me yesterday morning. And so I didn't work for three hours while I was with them. And then they went um, to another place. And then during that time, I was like, now is my time where I'm hyper-focused on what I'm doing now. And it didn't matter. I didn't have to check in with you guys and tell you what time I was able to structure that because you guys trust me. And that having that trust then makes me feel more bought in. Like they believe in me. If they believe in me, I want to prove to them that I'm going to go above and beyond what they even expect of me. And so I can just like see it happening where I'm like, I've heard about that. And I was even skeptical at the beginning where I remember telling Zach, like, I don't know about that. What if people take advantage of you? What if they're just like not working and you don't know? And his response was, I'd rather have people take advantage of me and me trust them. And then we realize that they haven't done that in our KRAs or it'll come up. Like I would rather have people do that and let them know that we do trust you. And so because we trust you, we expect that you do perform. And I can feel that. I can feel the level of responsibility that I want to I want to earn more responsibility because I have that freedom. And it's just like a beautiful cycle. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. A beautiful cycle. You know, and it's like what I would tell people is like, if you want a business that operates that way, get clear about clarifying KRAs, clarify the results that people are responsible for, get 
crystal clear and over communicate the values and the boundaries of this is what we do. This is how we operate here and create the structure necessary for people to be outrageously free. And like, that's the type of workplace I want to work at. And therefore it's the type of workplace I want for our team. And it's also the type of workplace I want for the teams of the customers that we work with every single day. So on that note, Kelly is people want to work with Kelly, just like they wanted to work with Gerald, which is exciting. We set up, we're going to, we're going to let you on board for 90 days and then we're going to start getting you some clients. It turns out Kelly already has clients, which is just <laughs> wonderful. She's done a great job. So people want to work with Kelly. If, if you're someone that is interested in one-on-one coaching, um, we've said this before, but we do a four-hour initial intensive where we get inside your business, inside your leadership, make sure that we understand your context. And then out of that, we create a path for growth related to a personal leadership and business dashboard that we can have visibility into how you are growing based on the priorities and things that matter to you. And then we hold you accountable to it in monthly calls. And you also have access to our membership community that includes a weekly office hours conversation that Kelly is already leading in many ways, which is so exciting. And we also do a monthly workshop. I think this upcoming Mondays, we just did KRAs and upcoming this Monday, I think we're focusing on some of the habits for healthy personal growth and how that feeds into a healthy and thriving business. So we're really excited about that. And so if you would like to work with a one-on-one coach, then the link for all of that information is in the show notes of this episode. And you can fill out a form and someone from our team will reach out to you. Kelly, before we close out today, I'd love for you to share, number one, what are you most excited about with regard to the season that's ahead? And then number two, what is the challenge that you would give to the people listening out of kind of what we've talked about in this episode? Okay. The thing I'm most excited about is that this is a whole new season for me. Being around people that are promoting healthy growth is actually more challenging than it sounds. I think when you're in the Path for Growth community as a client, you become it becomes normal because those are the people that you're around. When I took that 30 days off, I was no longer, I, I even took it off of Path for Growth. So I wasn't around people that were promoting that lifestyle. And I recognize, you know, not everybody in my life encourages this lifestyle. And so to be in a community with people that are rooting for each other and holding each other accountable, like unapologetically, like there are times where you and Zach come and tell me things like, hey, we got to stay in line with this. I'm like, I love that. I love that I'm surrounded with people that are committed to not only their healthy growth, but mine as well. So I just, I can't even imagine like how much I'm going to grow in the next year to five years to whatever, like it blows my mind a little bit, like the sky is the limit. So I'm just excited to see what it's going to look like in the future. So my challenge to anybody listening is to not fall into the mindset that you are a victim to your reality. It's not real. And to surround yourself with people, to break down those walls and to be honest and vulnerable with people in your life that can speak truth into your life and let you know that what you are victim to doesn't have to be that way for the rest of your life. And you can make changes in your life, take agency of your life to to make that shift. And it is the pivotal moment that will change your life for the 
forever. Oh, man. That gets me so stoked. That's so good. I tell you, you know this. I... One of our core values is treat people like friends. And we say that's true for customers. We say that's true for vendors. We say that's true for strangers. And absolutely, that's true for team members. And you are just someone that I consider an incredible friend. And that's why I'm just so beyond excited that you are joining this team. It's just going to be unbelievable. And I'm so beyond excited to see the way that you're able to use um, the story that God has had you walk in order to serve others. Like it's already started. And I know that it's just going to continue. And I'm so beyond stoked (laughs) to see the way that God continues to use you and your gifts and your passions and your strengths to help others practice healthy growth. So this is just the first of many conversations and the first of many years. Kelly, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Well, if you can't tell, I'm just a little bit excited to have Kelly joining the team. Uh, gosh, she's she's just so passionate and so committed to growth, and she's a person of action. And that's something we really believe in at Path for Growth is one of our core values is alignment. So we don't just want to give a message. We want to live the message that we give. And I just think that Kelly is such a positive example of that. Now, Kelly is one of our one-on-one coaches. I also do that. And Gerald, who has been on this podcast previously, does that as well. We also have growth groups. If you're interested in coaching at Path for Growth, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. The other thing that I want to make sure you know about is if you're not quite at the stage where coaching makes sense, then we do have a membership tier now that gives you access to our weekly office hours conversations. We always say that these are casual yet intentional conversations with other impact-driven leaders. And it's truly just open time to discuss the opportunities and challenges and obstacles, but also just what you're learning with people that share your values with impact-driven leaders. And Kelly is always on those conversations. Gerald, our other coach, is typically on those conversations. I'm almost always on those conversations. We'd love to have you on there as well. And then also as a member, you get access to our monthly workshop, which is teaching the different fundamentals of leading an exceptional business. So we teach KRAs, we teach teach developmental delegation. We've done one on crafting and drafting your future org chart. And so we do those workshops open once a month live, and then you also have access to all of the recordings. So if you're interested in the membership tier of Path for Growth, we'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Y'all, we're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go.